0: service newsroom donations from you help us take on ambitious reporting projects like this one every single gift makes a difference go to marketplace.org give tech with everyone
1: fighting for attention how can your business stand out and connect with customers easy get constant contact constant contacts award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out stay top of mind and see big results fast Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com. Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall.
0: ConstantContact.com. Does AI hype translate to profit? From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Dramali. It is Friday, which means it's time for our Week in Review, Marketplace Tech Bytes. On the show today, the FDA expands its approvals for CRISPR gene editing therapies. We look at affordability of these treatments, which can cost well into the millions of dollars. Plus, is bad marketing stunting health tech companies? How startups can up their game? But first, at this week's World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, there were 32 scheduled events devoted to, you guessed it, AI. When they weren't comparing private jets, business executives were busy asking, how do you make money off of AI? Our guest this week is Christina Farr, a health tech investor at Omer's Ventures.
1: Just from my own seat as a healthcare investor, every company seems to be an AI company these days, even if you know a year ago they were a services company or doing doing something else entirely. So Seems like we just want to sprinkle some AI pixie dust, and then say, you know, this is a big business opportunity that's worth far more than it than it was previously. But I think you're right; we don't have a business model yet, and no one knows is this a space that a startup can even win. Maybe this is just something that the incumbents will ultimately win. I don't discount companies like Microsoft. I don't discount companies like Google. Um, These are these are businesses that have hundreds of engineers working on. AI specifically. So how do you compete if you're a tiny company with maybe one or two engineers? I think all of these questions are still are still really being asked. And, and that was a big topic of, of uh, Davos.
0: Yeah. This is interesting too. Boston Consulting Group surveyed more than a thousand C-suite executives and 90% of them said they are waiting for generative AI to take a step beyond the recent hype They are using it, if at all, in pilots or in in other pretty limited ways. Um, Are you surprised by that, that businesses are almost having to be courted to integrate AI into what they do?
1: I think it's still unclear what the real use cases for AI will be. There's been a lot of talk of potentially using AI to summarize conversations that people are having so that we don't need to be taking as many notes. A lot of it um, now you see use cases around customer service and just anything that's really customer facing. And I think um, there's a really good reason why many companies are sort of approaching that somewhat hesitantly because, you know, think about the last time we called customer service. You're like frantically hitting zero. Like, can I please talk to a human being? And I think (laughs) just now, now we've flipped this over to an AI isn't necessarily kind of the right immediate step. And we have a lot to think through. Not to mention, you know, the potential for inaccuracy, the potential for fabrications. There are so many things about this evolving software that we, we still don't totally understand. So I think, I think it's right that we are doing this with some caution before we kind of just plow right into it.
0: And what are your thoughts on AI's potential in health tech since that is your investment focus? You mentioned note taking. You know, people might be okay with uh, doctor's notes getting some help from an AI. Maybe they're less okay, for example, with getting a diagnosis that was facilitated with an AI. Is there more or less resistance to generative artificial intelligence in healthcare compared to other sectors from what you've seen?
1: I think a lot of openness actually in healthcare, um, more so than than you would expect from the physician community because of what we call pajama time, which is this time at the end of the day after they've been practicing for hours that they have to just summarize notes, as you said. And so the potential for AI to do that, I think is really strong. And we've seen some exciting companies that, you know, frankly, I've been quite floored just um, looking at these demos. Where we're just sitting having a an interaction, and you know the physician's actually like not on a laptop. They're just looking me straight in the eye, really paying attention, and they just know that the system on the back end is capturing everything and putting it into uh, a really good clinical summary. On the on the diagnosis front, I think you raise a really good point that it's um, it's less clear. What's been interesting is just looking on Twitter, how many people have said, I've been using this and I actually did diagnose my, my spouse or, you know, and diagnose me with some condition. And oftentimes it's things that are very systemic where a specialist would just refer you to another specialist who would refer you to another one. And so it seems like it's already starting to happen, but, you know, lots of thinking to do around guardrails. How do we bring physicians into the loop on this? Like, this is also evolving and, um... You know, I think it's exciting, but I have, again, I'm very cautious.
0: We'll be right back with more of Marketplace Tech Bytes Week in Review with Christina Farr of Omer's Ventures. You're listening to Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. We're back with Christina Farr, health tech investor at Omer's Ventures. Let's talk about CRISPR. This is the gene editing technology uh, that, among other people, was pioneered by Dr. Jennifer Doudna at UC Berkeley. So after giving the green light to CRISPR's use to treat sickle cell disease in December, the FDA this week expanded its approval for another inherited blood disorder called TDT. So I want to know from you, Christina, how significant would you say this latest move by the FDA is for CRISPR? It's quite significant. From from everything I've read, this actually came a lot sooner
1: than was expected because typically the FDA takes longer to make decisions like this. So it was a little bit shocking to biotech analysts that this happened so quickly. On the other hand, we've been talking about CRISPR for years and we're still very much in the early, early innings when it comes to using CRISPR to really treat disease. And, you know, this is really exciting, I think, but we have many questions to answer around around cost there are also concerns that you know we could inadvertently edit some kind of mutation that could lead to to cancer in some of these patients it's um i think it's really like i said i think i think there's a lot of potential here and this is probably where you know the direction that we'll take when it comes to treating disease and i think the, the treatments that we have today just don't have this level of personalization so it's, it's something that the biotech world rightly is is investing in, but still lots of unanswered questions.
0: Let's stick with the theme of affordability, which you mentioned. Uh, when we had Dr. Doudna on the show a couple of months ago, I asked her about this, and she made it clear that that was top of mind for her. But these treatments for now could end up costing 3.5-ish million dollars. That is a lot of money. How do you think insurance companies look at an approval like this? They need to stay financially viable. You can throw some government programs into that mix as well. Medicaid, Medicare, for example. Do you think they'll be open to covering these kinds of treatments given the cost? So it's a a great question, Lily. It's also a complicated question.
1: You could argue that these diseases come with a lifetime cost of well more. You could say it costs 5 million, 6 million, and therefore you're actually saving money. But the problem is our system doesn't work that way. Um, When it comes to a lot of commercial insurance, the kind that you and I probably get um, as people who are employed, you know, we often leave jobs after three to five years and therefore the insurance company really is only on the hook pay for you for that long. So in my mind, this kind of only makes sense with a government insurer who might make that calculation around, okay, it makes sense to pay for a very expensive and potentially curative treatment. But a lot of insurance companies do not have a mindset around long-term health. And that, I would say, is one of the biggest shortcomings and failures of the American healthcare system.
0: Yeah. And, and TDT, uh, this disorder that just got the approval for CRISPR, this is transfusion-dependent beta thalassemia. Um, this is a genetic disease that can cause symptoms like enlarged organs. It can delay puberty. The median age of death is 37. Um, another treatment option for this is stem cell transplants. And I wonder if you could just give me a quick you know, comparison, how does CRISPR compare to stem cell transplants, which are, again, an option but require donors? I mean, I'm thinking maybe it's easier to scale CRISPR treatments given that, that factor.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're right there that, you know, stem cell, it do, that is a limitation. It does require finding a match. And oftentimes people just sit and wait for a very long time and they get more and more sick and then it just becomes challenging to ultimately treat them even if they do find a donor match. And so something like a CRISPR I think offers a solution that you know potentially could could treat somebody much sooner before the disease has has progressed. Um but but then you face some of these same questions that that you and I talked about with affordability and are there any kind of downstream consequences of this treatment that we're not aware of yet because it's, it's still so early?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, folks can check out our interview with Dr. Doudna on our website, marketplacetech.org. Uh, and on to our third and final topic, is bad marketing stunting health tech companies. Chris, you've been writing about this in your newsletter, Second Opinion, it's called. And one of the you write that one of the common things holding back great ideas and products in digital health is consumer awareness. Tell me more. What are you seeing?
1: Yes. I. So I have a bit of a bone to pick with B2B marketing. It is so dry, so boring. And you see this across <laughs> many areas of technology. Um, it just, it drives me nuts.
0: I'm like, what this is- This is businesses marketing to other businesses.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, marketing uh, businesses trying to trying to approach, um, in the case of healthcare, would be a payer or it could be an employer. And this language that they use is just it's so <laughs> dry, um, Agreed. Like, you know, terms like enablement and platform. What does this even mean? I hear platform and I think of a train. <laughs> so um, this, this, I think, is a big problem in the world of digital health because you are selling to these entities. But ultimately, you know, you, you want to be used by a patient who might be an employee or a member of a plan. And that seems to be where a lot of these companies fail is they, you know, they get these big contracts, but then you look at the utilization and it's like, you know, maybe 1% of people who are eligible are even using these services. And so I thought it was really exciting this past week when Amazon said they were going to partner with a company called Armada. That is focused on um, mostly diabetes. And they, again, they sell to health plans, they sell to employers. And Amazon said, we'll, we'll show people through our own website who apply how to sign up to Omada. And, you know, from Amado's perspective, that's a very big deal because Amazon knows how to, how to market to consumers. Like, who doesn't use Amazon? Um, so it could be a way for them to, to go from maybe, you know, double digit utilization across some of their, their customers to, to far more than that. And I think Amazon will do that across a lot of healthcare companies.
0: And so the idea is that if I buy, say, a medical device on Amazon, I might see a widget pop up that asks if I'm eligible for Omada services through my employer's health plan, for example. Um, and you talk about how there's a little bit of a creep factor to this. Um, how, how do you get the word out without weirding customers out or, or worse, violating their privacy?
1: Yeah, it's a big problem. And I think I think for something like diabetes, so many people are pre-diabetic or diabetic. It's like one in three that, you know, you can kind of mass market some of these things and, and ultimately find a lot of your target kind of base. But then you look at kind of other companies that say specifically need to target LGBTQ employees. How do you do that? You know, how do you how do you find that subset that would use service that is designed for, for them specifically, for them to get the right kind of healthcare treatment, how do you find those people without them telling you that information? And so oftentimes you get into this big problem on the B2B or enterprise marketing side where there's just no real way to find them. There's no real way to do it without coming across, across as creepy. Um, and I, I, I think it's a real Factor that we need to take into account because, you know, a lot of people feel that they don't want their employers knowing personal information. I feel that way. So um, I think this this offering from Amazon is a step in the right direction.
0: That was Christina Farr at Omer's Ventures. You can find the full video of this episode of Marketplace Tech Bites week in review on our YouTube channel, Marketplace APM. And subscribe if you haven't already to watch us every Friday. Rosie Hughes produced this episode. Jesus Alvarado and Daniel Shin also produce our show. Lydia Ayano is our intern. Gary O'Keefe is our engineer. Daisy Palacios is our senior producer. And Kelly Silvera is our executive producer. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey